Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. We have a very special episode here today. Uh, so joining me, Dave Fletcher, here in the studio is Jeremy Bean. Hey, Dave. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Recently, I, I was invited, or rather invited myself, to be on the show. A little of both, I think. Yeah, to be on Don Johnson's radio show. It's an apologetic show, uh, Don Johnson of... Don Johnson Evangelistic Ministries. Not of Miami Vice. No, different Don Johnson. Which was hugely disappointing for me. <laughs> I have it was for me too. Yeah. He brought me on the show to discuss my views on the free will determinism debate. Yeah, um, a few episodes back on their show, which is I believe a weekly show, um, they responded to our two-part series on determinism. That's correct. Um, because some one of their listeners had is also a listener of our show and said, "Hey, listen to this. I'm interested in your response." And they responded to um, our discussion. And then um, one of our listeners let us know about it. And um, you contacted the Don Johnson show and said, "Hey, I'd like to have an opportunity to discuss this." I felt that Don Johnson had misrepresented our views in several different ways. I wasn't sure and I'm not sure now whether or not uh, it was intentional or he just had a hard time grasping a view that was so far outside of his own. And so I went on the Don Johnson show and what you're about to hear is a recording of that interview. Now, what you're going to be hearing actually is a recording that was made on my end of the interview. Which, by the way, based on the um, recording of theirs that I listened to, your audio is way better. Yeah, part of it is just vanity. I wanted my voice to be able to be heard clearly <laughs> right, by people listening to the show, and I felt my levels were pretty down on their recording. Yeah. Um, and the other reason why we're using our recording of it is that our recording is completely unedited. So what you're going to hear is just the raw audio from that interview. But the only editing is there were a couple of audio glitches. We lost communication for brief moments of time. And so I cut those out because sure. no one wants to listen to that. Uh, but other than that, it's completely raw and unedited. Their version was slightly edited and um, the entire last part of the discussion was just cut off. Because they tried to keep it to about an hour right. in their podcast. Yeah, no no foul play going on as, as far as I can tell. But um, they were just keeping it brief. But I felt that there were important things that were said in that later part of the discussion. So here it is. And if you manage to make it through the entire thing, um, <laughs> stick around and there'll be some commentary at the end. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Don Johnson Radio Show. My name is, appropriately enough, Don Johnson. And I'm here along with the mad drummer himself, Brandon Ridley. <laughs> For anybody who was just uh, watching the video feed could have seen me air drumming. Um, so I'm not sure if you sometimes forget you're on camera or, uh, or you, you want to show off. <laughs> yeah, well anybody who could play drums and was watching me would know that I cannot. <laughs> now that's not true, Brandon. At least not in the uh, band hero, guitar hero sense. I know you're quite good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. I'm a, um, 
I'm a, I'm a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Yeah. All right. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on uh, the Don Johnson Show. It is a very special show today. We've got a special guest. It's not me, actually. Besides Brandon. Yeah, I'm not the special guest. We've got a, a different one, a better one. Yeah. Way better. Way better. <laughs> uh, how you doing, Brandon? Anything anything going on? Other than I'm trying to grow a beard now. Uh, no, nothing really exciting for me. Which uh, which I'm sure our listeners, as much as they saw you drum, cannot see your beard. No, <laughs> no. I, uh... And not only because it's behind the microphone thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but because it, uh, I have the beard-growing potential of an 11-year-old. So <laughs> this is... Um, it, it's a fun experiment in humiliation for me, but I'm I'm riding it out, riding the wave. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, well, I was gonna I was gonna mention you already for uh, the 24 series finale tonight. Is that is is it tonight? It is tonight. The only reason I know that is because I have three shows on my on my DVR. I basically yeah. watch three shows a week that that get recorded, and over the years, two of them, the whole series, last night lost. The whole series ended, and tonight the whole series of 24 ended, so my DVR is going to be down to one show. What are you going to do? Well, you know, everything else that I should be doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not going to talk about Lost because you haven't seen it That's and you're true. considering. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. And this is a worldview show. And <laughs> well, there's a lot of worldview stuff. Oh, is there? Well, I don't know. I haven't seen the last couple seasons, so. It's, uh, yeah. One of the interesting, well, I, like, I like sci-fi stuff and worldview stuff. Sure, yeah, I love sci-fi. One of the reasons that, that I find them interesting is that it's, so darn hard to write a coherent fiction worldview. Oh man, I find yeah, you know, like the whole force nonsense. As much as I love Star Wars, the whole force stuff is just nonsense, right? You find that in basically every show. Just saying, maybe we'll talk about that another day. All right, let's get to it. We're uh, we're wasting time here. Our special guest. And let me give you a little background before we get to our guest, who is uh, patiently and graciously waiting on the line for us. Um, a few weeks back, we got an email from Austin. I think it was. Anyway, somebody emailed us, asked us to listen to this other podcast, actually one episode of this other podcast regarding determinism. It was the Reasonable Doubts podcast. I have since found out that many of our listeners listen to Reasonable Doubts and us. Really? Yeah. Huh. So we have, this, uh, we have some mutual fans, it seems. And so I did that, and it was a show about determinism. Actually, I listened to two shows, uh, both about determinism and free will, and I found them interesting. And so we commented on them, I don't know, two, three weeks back. Yeah. Anyway, even at the time, we had some listeners asking if we could get um, some of those guys on. And since that show, not only have they been asking me to call, but they have called the hosts of Reasonable Doubts and said, hey, could you come on and talk about, uh, you know, Don and Brandon talking about your show? It just like seems a blind like, date. seems yeah. like there should be some discussion happening live. So, with, without further ado, today we have Jeremy Bean, one of the hosts of Reasonable Doubts, on the show to talk about um, not only naturalism and determinism, the worldview that they defend on the reasonable doubts, as far as I understand, but free will and determinism. So before we get to it, let me uh, tell you a little bit about Jeremy. He is um, ex-Christian. He was uh, raised in uh, what he calls a fundamentalist background, which is cool. We might talk about that a little bit later on. He's from Michigan. He um, teaches at uh, Ferris State University and is gracious enough to join us today. Jeremy, welcome to the Don Johnson Show. Hey, Don and Brandon. How you guys doing? Excellent, excellent. We are doing well. Hope you are as well. Yeah, and Brandon, um, Brandon, Jeremy... good luck on the beard, man. Hang in there. Thanks. It, yeah. it can be tough yeah. at first. It can be very itchy, but just stick with it. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, my wife catches me just rubbing my face for minutes at a time. She says, Brandon, you, you, you need to stop that. That's, I have a beard, <laughs> and, and that's my nervous tick of choice as well. Yeah, well... 
I'm glad. I'm glad we can relate then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Let me uh, start by asking you now. You, as you said uh, in your uh, email to us, you basically want to come on and clarify and mm-hmm. then discuss uh, some of the arguments uh, we presented. So let's start with clarifying a little bit about your worldview and then how it pertains to free will and determinism, and we'll just go from there. All right, clarifying my worldview. Well, I am an atheist. Um, of the the negative sort, I, I call it negative atheism, meaning that I do not believe in a god. Um, I do hold out the option that there might actually be one. It's that none of the evidence that has so far been presented to me I find acceptable, um, and so for that reason I, I don't believe in a god. But uh, theoretically, that's open to change. Um, as such, then I. I tend towards naturalism, so atheism really doesn't tell you about what I do believe. Naturalism is more in that area, um, meaning that the natural physical world is a real thing and that um, when we are looking for answers to deep questions, understanding who we are, uh, understanding how the world works, many times uh, natural answers, uh, referring back to the natural world, can provide us those answers. Uh, or at least it provides us the best answers that are out there. So supernatural answers tend not to fly with me uh, for various different reasons. Um, As far as ethics is concerned, uh, I am a humanist uh, in the sense that I believe human beings, um, really ethical ideals and moral values um, begin – begin where you are. Uh, It begins from your perspective and not in a relative sense, but in other words, we need to identify what our human needs, what needs do we have as a society, as a community, and build our ethical framework around that. And um, as far as uh, more detail on my ethics, I I tend towards consequentialism, I tend towards utilitarianism, but I also have a fondness for uh, virtue ethics as well. And I'm still hammering out some of the particulars on that worldview. Uh, now, how does that relate to free will or determinism? Um, of course, if we live in a natural world, that is, it's material, it's made up of matter and energy, then things, uh, matter and energy, obey physical laws. And those laws are deterministic laws. And if human beings are entirely physical, if there isn't any sort of ghost in the machine or or, uh, immaterial spirit, anything else that's a part of us, well then um, I don't see how we can get around determinism. I I don't see how there's any other option. Now I I do have to say for your listeners who may may not be uh, or your listeners who are religious, many naturalists would disagree with me. Many atheists and uh, skeptics of the supernatural and paranormal do embrace uh, free will. Some of them have a very robust sense of free will that they will defend. So uh, I'm not going to say I'm a minority in being in the determinist camp, um, but I I don't want to give people the impression that everyone who's a naturalist is a determinist. Um, That happens to be a conclusion that I've come to and many others have as well. Yeah, let me uh, let me jump in there, Jeremy. That's one of the things. That's one of the things I liked about your show, and that we agree with. I think that if you start from naturalism, it does seem to me, as it does to you, that uh, determinism is the logical result of that. And yeah, I, I mean, obviously, uh, you're right that not all naturalists 
would agree, but we do. So I think we're, we're fairly <laughs> – we're on yeah. the same page there. So that's a good start. That's why I, I do that, think it's – I do think it's kind of interesting that we're even debating this, uh, though I'm very glad that you had me on the on the show. Um, but it, it was interesting; those that set of shows that you listened to were geared towards um, were geared towards skeptics. We were actually trying to challenge our own and persuade that. Um, you know, usually on the show, what we're doing is we're we're challenging the other side; we're tra- challenging theists. But that particular episode was, "Hey guys, wake up! If you're a naturalist, there's some right. implications there, and you need to be aware of that." Yeah, absolutely. And I thought the uh, the guest that you had on from the Center for Naturalism, if I'm not mistaken, he he also not only did he affirm that, but he affirmed that we do need we, I mean, you guys, <laughs> You're right, uh, right? If we're if we're going to be um, consistent, we need to have a positive worldview, uh, and and the implicate you know, and see the implications of that. And so we need to have you know, we can't just keep hacking away at all the theistic worldviews. We need to have a positive case for our own and see the ethical implications, or the uh, deterministic implications of that. So I thought that was uh, that was great. All right, so great, Jeremy. Thank you very much for that uh, clarification. Now, just to, just to flesh that out a little bit for the audience. So if, if we live in a universe where matter is all there is, and it is a closed system of cause and effect, then everything that happens within that system is determined in the sense that it can't escape the closed system of cause and effect, and so no matter what happens, it is the result of a causal chain going back to the original whatever. Right. Am, I, am I about right? In Absolutely. That? I mean, there might be there might be one area of contention here in, in that, uh, well, not between you and me, uh, but uh, there are genuinely indeterminate events that happen on a quantum level. At least that's what the what the physicists are telling us right now. Um, so there might be, in a sense, where uh, at the scale of the very small, things are not actually deterministic. Um, but I find this is, for the most part, irrelevant to the issue of free will, essentially for two reasons. One, one is that um, that quantum indeterminacy most people think, really cancels out once you get to a larger level. Once you get to the level of atoms and molecules and people, um, we're out of that indeterminate zone. Second of all, if for some reason, I don't believe this has been proven yet, but if there is some way that quantum indeterminacy can have an effect on the brain, um, so it could possibly influence decisions and that sort of thing, um, even if that is possible, I don't believe that's a, a opening for free will. Um, a indeterminate event is even more frightening than a determinate event because um, even in determinate events, you can say, hey, look, my past experience, um, the influences of my environment, everything like that goes into this choice. A genuinely indeterminate event, if that could affect consciousness, um, then that's something that just happened. And something that happens randomly is not the same thing as freedom. So, um, right. so there is some, there may be indeterminism in our universe, but I do think it's pretty much irrelevant to the free will debate. Yeah, again, I think I agree with you completely as you're uh, explaining that. It's either it's either determined on a practical level, level, or as you said, and I agree, more frighteningly, everything's just random completely. <laughs> you can't you can't explain anything. Then it would just have happened, right? Right. Uh, yeah. If it's uh, so. Excellent. Okay. So with that then, 
the question of what does that do to, uh, if we lack free will, there was, I think, I think we presented on our show three basic um, questions or objections. I don't know if you call them, I guess, objections, uh, to then your discussion of mm-hmm. it. And to, to summarize them briefly, and then uh, you can respond, uh, we basically said that you weren't being philosophically sound in regards to the uh, ramifications of this regarding morality, because then you were blaming people, ultimately, such as, uh, I think I think you spoke about the Pope. I think that's what that's we mentioned. That's correct. The Pope uh, is one and, of our know, favorite sure. targets. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I mean, so so the Pope, you can't blame the Pope for doing what uh, he did. You can't blame anybody. And therefore, you know, just, just to be philosophically sound, in a determinate universe, there wouldn't be any such thing as morality. People would just do what they do because of what has happened before, and so you couldn't blame them. The second one was that um, you weren't being philosophically sound in regards to the uh, ramifications of the data regarding the um, effect of physical changes on a person's personality. And so we suggested that, yeah, sometimes, I mean, you brought up a bunch of uh, great examples of how physical changes change people's personality. Phineas Gage and lack of sleep and, I don't know if you brought up drinking, but that's another one. You know, physical changes affect people's personality. And so then we suggested, well, we absolutely agree with that, but that's not, that doesn't necessarily follow as that um, that doesn't necessarily follow that there is no free will, right? So we, we brought that one up. And then finally we said that in a materialistic universe, uh, basically the whole, the whole project of reasoning is undercut, that uh, basically the whole idea of trying to look at data and analyze it and decide which better explains and all that stuff, that's all gone because you've cut off the, the, uh, the branch that you're sitting on in a deterministic universe. So that was very brief, and we can expand on that. But let's, if you will, let's start with the morality thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we is it is it okay to blame the Pope for what he's doing in a right. materialistic universe? <clears throat> right. So how do we get off in the exact same episode that we're talking about determinism, blaming the Pope? Well, there's really two parts to that answer. Number one is more of a abstract ethical point, and that is that not all ethical systems where we would judge whether or not an action was moral or immoral really depend on the person being freely able to make a decision in the situation. So, for example, uh, consequentialist ethics. Conse- consequentialist ethics, um, they, they judge the rightness or wrongness of an action, the morality of an action based on its consequences, not the intentions of the person uh, that is doing the act. You could have the best of intentions, but if what you're doing is going to have terrible consequences in the world, uh, that is judged as a as an immoral act. So you could see that even if a person, say like the Texas sharpshooter, having no control at all, he has a tumor on his amygdala that's driving him crazy and mad. You know, has no control over at all over over his actions. Uh, we could still say, just on an abstract moral point, that what he did was bad. It caused suffering. Uh, it had terrible consequences for him, his family, and that community, uh, not to mention the victims of, of the acts itself. So not all moral systems require that, that value judgments be attached to the intentions or the freedom of the agent. You could also say a similar thing for virtue ethics, another style that I'm fond of. 
um, which really tries to gauge the kind of the character. It, it, it asks us uh, to be good people by developing our character, by developing certain virtues. You could claim, you could measure somebody's uh, virtuous uh, nature, their character, um, irregardless of you know maybe there's a decent, honest person who's brave, he's courageous, he has all those virtues. Um, we don't need reference to you know some sort of absolute libertarian freedom to make assessments of somebody's character. Uh, so that's an abstract moral point. So that's how we could say we could look at what the Pope's doing and say it's wrong, even if uh, even if he could not have done otherwise. Well, then the question comes in, though: what, What's the point? You know, if he couldn't have done otherwise, why why then heap on moral condemnation? Why judge his actions? Is this just an abstract intellectual exercise? No. The key point here is that if the person's future behavior could actually be altered by the criticism, um, then we have a responsibility or rather this this is what it means to have responsibility in a deterministic framework. Um, so a lot of people have been heaping condemnations on the Vatican and rightly so for the way that they've been dealing with this case. And it took quite a while but now we're seeing some steps that the Vatican is taking to be more transparent, um, to now they are, I think there was some major archbishop in Germany that is being forced to resign. I, I may have the details a little bit off there. Um, they are being prompted now by social pressure to actually cho- to actually alter their behaviors. And so that's, that's the meaning of responsibility in this deterministic framework. Um, you know, to put it a, a more simple example, if uh, <coughs> if I if I just just bought an iPad or something, and you were my buddy, and you wanted to borrow it for a night because you're thinking of of borrowing uh, of buying one yourself, and you want to try it out, and you know you use it as a coaster, you drop it, it gets scratched, you're careless, and you bring it back to me, you know what what would a determinist what would a ter- determinist do? I couldn't really blame you for the way you acted because you could not have done otherwise. But if I just let it go, if I don't say anything about it, then you might continue to be careless in the future. If I get angry with you and if I tell you how that made me feel that you were so careless, this might change you. This might this might cause a, a reaction. Maybe next time you borrow something, you would be uh, you'd be more aware of how you need to be more careful with it. So, so that's the whole idea of responsibility. Uh, does that make sense? Um, not well. I got I got two problems, uh, two two issues. In, well, go ahead, Brandon. Brandon wants to jump. In. Well, I, I just had a in the example of your music device that I returned to you in a damaged fashion. You wouldn't blame me because I was determined to do it. But you speak as if your response is one that you're reasoning out and actually have the freedom to do. Like you might express to me that you are hurt by my carelessness in the hope that I might do something different in the future, but is not your analysis of what you're going to do and then your choosing of what you do also determined and thus actually an illusion that you're actually making that choice. And similarly, I'm determined to react to that however it is that I'm determined to act. So... In, I mean, in effect, you're, you're not really you're not really weighing options and making a a choice, and you're not really changing what I'm 
would do versus what I might have otherwise done because we're all just on the dominoes of determinism, right? Or, well, one of those, the point is, fundamentally determinism. the point is your reaction to somebody in that context is one of the dominoes. That is actually a, right. a, a causal determinant of behavior. So that's that's more of the point. Um, if if there was there's no issue in determinism about um, determinism doesn't say our emotional reactions to one another or or our moral judgments of one another um, don't aren't effective in any sort of way. In fact, that's part of that is part of the deterministic system itself. That's part of our how our brains are hardwired. We respond to negative and positive feedback, and that has a reaction. Every single one of us knows this who, who has children or who has um, now, had... Now, just to, just to, sorry, Jeremy, I don't mean to, I just don't want to get too far afield. Just to jump in there on my then, I had the same response as Brandon, but then could how could you really define negative and positive? If, if my reaction to Brandon wrecking my iPad was to stab him in the chest... Um, would there be any, right, how, could could we say then that I, you know, I didn't make a choice, you didn't make a choice. The, the problem, it seems to me, with this system is that you can't really say that anything then is right or wrong, good or bad. It, it seems to me like you're just describing I, what Well, I addressed, right. I, I addressed that in, in the previous question about um, certain moral systems where, we uh, where we determine this regardless, we can determine moral the morality of a choice or an action based on its consequences. Yeah, okay, and actually, yes. and actually that was my that was my second question with that with that uh, explanation you have is that those results you know if you use a utilitarian ethic, what you you know quote choose as the better or I mean you don't choose those things are not you can't say that one result is better or not. Results just are then as well. So, you know, the results no, are no, that's that's results, uh, right. This is this is actually this is not really a controversial point amongst people who debate these issues. Um, we could get into the meta ethics of the situation. We could we could push this discussion way back to what are the ultimate foundations of morality, and and that might be a very interesting discussion. Um, well, but I mean the, that is that is ultimately the the problem with the whole system of cause and effect and matter is all there is, is that there is no foundation for ethics, right? Well, that's your particular view, uh, that there right. is I mean, no foundation you, could you for ethics. Could you, summarize, could you summarize real quickly what the ultimate foundation for ethics is in a closed system of cause and effect? All right. Well, the person in, the person in that uh, situation with the iPad, okay, um, how are they... Uh, how are they as a result of the two actions? Of one one scenario, the person takes care of the device and returns it back intact. The other one, they drop it on the ground. They ruin it. Everything else. Now, how are the two people going to be different after this event? Well, the person who invested all that money into that device um, now has a, a damaged device. This is going to cause sadness. This is going to be a financial setback. Um, this is going to have a real impact on the individual, maybe a superficial one because we're talking about technology, but we could go even further, the stabbing in the chest scenario that you brought up. Um, these sure. are going to – determinism doesn't say that we don't have emotions. Uh, determinism doesn't say that we don't feel pain or we don't feel pleasure. And determinism doesn't say 
um, that no way of life is preferable to any other. Um, all determinism says is that well, things are caused. There are prior causes to everything that happens. Um, so I, I don't see how how determinism undermines the out, those outcomes. Well, sure it does, because there's no ultimate foundation for preferring what we call pleasure to, or calling it, calling pain better than pleasure. You see, that philosophically, there's no ultimate foundation for saying one is, quote, better, because better is a meaningless term. We're just predetermined to like them one way or the other. And even, I mean, you know, like is what it is. It's how, how, what is the ultimate standard for saying one outcome is better than the other. I think. You know, uh, wh- why would we? Why would we say breaking the iPad is less good than not breaking it? All right. Well, I just want to point out to begin with, because these are how these things often go, that we are going down a rabbit trail here. Uh, we are now getting into the field of of meta ethics. How do we ground our our moral values? So I just hope that we can return back to the subject that we agreed to talk about. <laughs> well, um, um, but I mean, that's I'll give you an answer. Um, okay. This this uh, as far as is pain better than than or is is pleasure better than pain? Um, I think most of us know this immediately. We know this in, in our experience. In other words, the very question of pain is pain better than pleasure is a pretty subjective one to the organism, right? And just about everybody who has properly functioning biology is going to is going to prefer not being in agony, not being in pain, and is going to prefer uh, having you know some stable physical and mental well-being. Um, now we could ask, okay, why objectively in the logic of the universe uh, does this matter? Well, the whole point of values, the whole point of moral questions is to assess, well, which, which types of life would be preferred to others? Um, I think, you know, as, as far as I can acknowledge that there's a slightly subjective component now that we're coming up with, but it is one that is pretty universal among human beings. You might have a couple of sadomasochists who are wired differently, and luckily we have laws that help take care of them. Uh, but I don't really feel that's that's an objection. I mean, if, if you if you seriously, I mean, I, I don't think anybody could seriously tell me they they would rather they would rather endure pain rather than than happiness. So, the, well, it depends on the it depends on the circumstance and how you define pain. Of course, I mean, I would gladly uh, suffer for my children. Great. Right? Yes. You know, okay. So, but but here's yeah, where we have right. another. I should have I should have began that by saying all things being even. And, and are all things even? I mean, you, you, well, you, you speak as if there is some sort of universal... All things being... Uh, this this is a rhetorical if, point. Let's not make an issue well, out of that. If, That's a rhetorical I mean, if, point. That's saying all things being fact, equal, if there are not other variables coming into play, then are, are one would prefer pleasure to pain. Okay. If materialism is correct... How do we explain this universal standard that we have that some things are preferred to others? And can it provide that? It may, is maybe another way to look at this. Well, I just um, gave you a reason. If, if you're hung up on there being a problem here, that is, um, I, I freely acknowledge that, you know, at base, something like that, pleasure uh, is preferable to pain. 
Um, I freely agree that that is a, a basic moral postulate that we need to assume and that we need to agree upon. Now, I happen to believe that once you do that, facts about the objective world can tell you an awful lot about how you should behave. So, for example, biology can't really tell you much about how you should behave, but if you insert some sort of value uh, like we, our value is to promote health, suddenly biology becomes medicine and it tells us uh, all sorts of things about how we should behave. Now, if your problem is with the subjectivity of that initial premise, that initial premise being um, why, why should one – what grounding do we have for preferring pleasure over pain? I don't think the situation is any different, uh, different than the theist, uh, for the theist rather, um, because if our situation is where God might send us to hell, he might um, pour out his wrath on us or he might bring us into a loving, redemptive relationship with him, um, which includes eternal life and, and all the joy that comes with being in his presence – um, the person who says, you know what, I don't think pleasure is better than pain is no different than the person, person who says, you know what, I don't, think, I don't think that hell is any worse than heaven. You know, I, I don't think that obeying the law, the commandment giver of the universe is any better than, uh, than uh, you know, not obeying. For that situation, what does God do with them? Well – God lets them live with those consequences, and in our society, it's the same way. If somebody won't agree with that most basic fact of, of human nature, um, then we quite rightly regard them as deviant. We watch out for them, and uh, if we determine that they are a threat to others, uh, we, we do something about it. We put them in an institution. So you're saying that this, uh, this pleasure is better than pain is basically a properly basic uh, principle on the order of I exist, I love my wife, whatever. Uh, if I bought into Reformed epistemology, that's how I would put it. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. In, in your in your <laughs> language of of philosophic your philosophical vocabulary, that's a pretty close analog. Yes. Okay. Okay. I would well, put that as a basic I, I moral am a, axiom. A novice philosopher, so. All right, so, I appreciate that. Great. Thank you, Jeremy. So uh, so within a closed system of cause and effect in which matter is all there is, we find that people are not making choices per se, but because of the nature of matter, um, pleasurable outcomes uh, happen uh, more there's a vocabulary of choice. I mean, we can we can use choice as a shorthand. There there's something going well, I, I, on in the you know, brain. I'd rather not. But that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying. I'm not, I'm trying not to use it because within, I'm trying to figure out within a materialistic universe, <laughs> and without the vocabulary of choice, because we don't have choice. I'm just trying to figure out how things happen. I'm trying to you know I'm trying to see your unified theory. Uh, of, right. Well, and, you know, so so within the closed system of cause and effect, and there's no choice happening. We perceive that things are better um, because uh, they produce pleasure rather than pain, but ultimately, um, ultimately, that's just. I mean, we have a human nature in that we are constituted constituted a certain way. Um, this makes certain forms of life um, preferable to many of us than others. And yes, when it comes to certain choices, when we typically talk about choices, 
Um, I, I would agree that there can be deliberations. I agree that people have beliefs that may influence their values and this may uh, – I don't deny that there is mental existence and, and all of that. Uh, the point is that all of these things, they have physical and psychological antecedents um, that are, are sufficient to cause the event. So nothing happens that is not constrained by nature and nothing happens that isn't based on a prior cause. Now, the, the fact that we deliberate over things, that deliberation just has a causal process behind it. Uh, the emotions that we feel uh, has a causal process behind it. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, right. So everything is caused when we think we are ultimately making a decision between two options. It's not actually making a decision. It's causal. Well, the brain will process. I mean, the the brain will process. If if you're if you're going, you know, if you're going to try to decide whether or not you want regular Coke or a Diet Coke, I think that was the example I used in the podcast. Your brain's going to deliberate. It's just things influences will come into that. So, your your genetic. Uh, do you have a sweet tooth? There might be biological things that are that are coming to play. Um, it is, are you being influenced by your culture, by the magazines on the magazine rack that has the images of the beautiful woman or the beautiful guy? Are you being in pressured by that um, to choose the, the diet, to avoid the sugar? Um, the point is that whatever decision you make, however the scales fall in that, um, it was caused by prior circumstances. There are the total physical state of your mind, uh, of course, is, is the immediate cause. Um, but your past experience and your biology come to play in that decision. In, in, in but that doesn't framework, mean that the person doesn't go up and doesn't have to deliberate between a Diet Coke and a Coke. It's just whatever they choose, if we kept all the factors the exact same, it could not have happened otherwise. Sure. Well, And even the process of deliberation would also be um, similarly caused, right? So the fact that he's deliberating, he's not... He's not genuinely deliberating every part of the deliberation process where he might weigh the options. I guess it depends on what you mean on genuinely deliberate. It doesn't mean that he can work outside of causal factors. Yes, uh, I do agree to that. Uh, it doesn't mean okay, that. Okay. It doesn't mean that the decision can just come out of nowhere. Um, but sure. does that mean okay. that it's not a deliberation? Well, I guess that that gets into. Well, our, I guess I don't know what you mean by deliberation. Yeah. Well, how does that? How does that? I mean, when I, I'm with Brandon, I'm seeing a, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm seeing not, not it could be this way, it could be that way. It's just this is the way it's going to be. And it seems like you maybe had the option to do that, but that's not the case. This is what you were going to choose the whole time, right? I mean, that's, that's not how we normally use the term deliberation in language. Normally we think, I could go this way and I could go this way and I'm going to weigh my options and I'm going to make a decision. When you deliberate, that's generally what how we talk about it. But you're saying that's not the case, right? I'm I'm saying that the the brain is involved in all of this and it's taking different inputs. It's it's not as if it's not as if determinism means that the brain just knows what's going to happen next and always does it. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't bring in information from our environment that has to compute and come to some sort of uh, resolution. That's um, that seems to be your impression of what determinism means, and no 
No, no, no sensible no, determinist taking, I'm, would actually have that position. All it means is that those elements that go into the decision um, and the decision itself is is not uncaused. It is part of a long causal chain. Um, right. So it could not have been otherwise. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so th- I think as in, that is our that is our distinction. Like when, when I deliberate over something, I take in all the different factors and all the rest of it. But ultimately, I I believe that I can make one choice or another. And so it's not it's not predetermined. I could do one or the other. That's 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 a fundamental difference that we have, right? Well, I don't believe you. It's a real difference between us. I think you have to do what you're determined to do, also. But yes, that yeah, is right. that I is a difference right. of our worldviews. That is a difference yeah, yeah. of our oh, okay. worldviews. Right. That's what I'm saying. We're just clarifying the difference between. Well, I don't believe I had to come into the office today. Mm-hmm. I don't believe I had to talk to you today. Uh, so, right. You you believe that those things had to happen? Yeah. Yes, okay. if we replayed so, all so the, the factors again. Now, if any of the factors were different, uh, there could be different things that happened in the environment. If, if we were to rewind the tape and, and change the world, tweak it in some sort of way, that could have a dramatic effect on, on what happened, but yes. Um, sure. Now, of course, we're, we're doing kind of a comparison of worldviews right now, but that was another part mm-hmm. of my case that's important is that there are – there's data that concerns all of us. There's data that um, is relevant from psychology. I mean, we, I just made a physics argument to begin with, um, but we could turn to psychology and what people actually do under controlled experiments, um, and I'm assuming that both of us need to make sense out of that data. Now, so I guess this brings us to sure. your uh, second yeah. point, mm-hmm. the data regarding yeah, yeah. changes in personality. Right. Yes, the, the the true worldview, as we say on the on the show, should be able to account for literally all of the data. And if it can't account for the data, you need to, well, the, whatever's true can handle it all. So yeah, I agree completely. Right. Well, the example that I used that you you framed it as um, that the issue was about a personality changing. I, I believe uh, I was talking about Phineas Gage. Um, which for your listeners who may not have read the uh, – or I'm sorry, may not have listened to the earlier podcast, uh, Phineas Gage is this gentleman who – I can't remember the exact year, uh, but it was about a century ago. He's a rail wor- railroad worker, has a metal pole basically shot through the front of his head, and amazingly, he actually survived. The damage – was very localized. It was damage to a a part of the brain uh, called the the, uh, prefrontal cortex, which uh, is recognized by many uh, neurologists to play a role in what they call executive function. So uh, um, it it, it regards planning. Um, It regards focus. It regards, um, you know, um, I'm sorry, it, it involves things like making moral judgments uh, also. Now, with this part of his brain damaged, Phineas Gage, who was previously a a pretty nice guy, uh, a gentle personality, very responsible, always went to work on time, uh, suddenly he started developing a gambling problem. Suddenly he became very rude and coarse, and most people recognized him as not being the same Phineas anymore. Now, the point here was more that, that than his personality changed. Now, in, in the podcast, we did muse about that, what that meant, and kind of reflected on how any one of us is a car car accident away from becoming a different person. 
But the point was much more than just a personality change. The point was his moral behaviors. Why is it suddenly that he wasn't responsible? Why did he now not hold down a job? Why did he let his marriage collapse uh, when he had never done any of these things before? If free will is true in the contra-causal sense, in the sense that a person, like you admitted that you believe, uh, is is in a sense uh, an unmoved mover of their own actions, God gives them that ability. How does that person make sense of Phineas's change in character? Well, I I don't know how John would react to that. I've got a response. Go ahead. Um, I. I do believe in this sort of unmoved mover, as you said, as John said, as others have said, but that does not, um, that would be, as you were saying earlier, all things being equal. I think if you shoved the pipe through my brain and somehow I were to live, um, that might change what I am uh, sort of able to do. I think that, say, the autistic child or the otherwise disabled or the person who's, you know, completely inebriated with alcohol, these people have all been compromised. So that um, they don't have free forget. will then. Well, no, I, I would say that they, they have. They have. Uh, I'm not. You, you must forgive me for not um, having written a paper on this or, or, or being super articulate. But I think that they do have free will. But it's like um, it, it, it's a it's a freedom that is restricted. It would be like Mozart getting down to play a piece that he has written on a piano that is out of tune. He is free to play his piece. But he is not free to, like, he, he does not still bring the same effect out of it. The the, the thing that he's working with I see. is broken. But there's a, um, there's a problem so with I, I, that. Don and, might not agree with me at all on that. Well, let, let me just deal with your answer first before Don's. There's, there's a problem with that analogy. And the problem is that in the analogy of Mozart playing the untuned piano, he's in, he's in full uh, connection with all his cognitive capacities, his... his uh, his thinking and everything is intact. It's just whatever's whatever's coming out of him can't be as good because the instrument doesn't sound right. Um, in a sure. situation like Phineas Gage, in a situation like that, the actual thinking of the person—it's—it's it's not as if—it's not as if there's somewhere inside a, a super Phineas. The old Phineas is in there watching and going, "Oh man, I didn't mean to do that, but now I don't have now my instrument's out of tune." Um, Phineas's own inner life has been transformed by that. He thinks now in a different way. He wills, you might say, in a different way as well. So I don't think an analogy like that can account for it. And and I'm kind of interested how you could have – I mean Don should pick this up. But I'm interested in in general in the idea of how you could have um, partial free will. At least if we're talking about free will in a contra-causal sense, uh, that that no, you know, this is taking place in a causal vacuum. This is a a prime mover, uh, unmoved mover. How could that be a partial thing? That sounds to me like it'd be an all-or-nothing deal. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you mean by that. What my my point in the show was that I don't think you presented the. And this is maybe what you mean by it. I don't think you presented the Christian Orthodox traditional position in regards to the relationship between spirit and matter. And I, I do believe that there is two realms, and I'm not entirely sure how they interact, but the, I believe traditionally that spirit affects matter and matter affects spirit, and they're much more unified than you seem to be indicating they are. I mean, we are fine with, if you don't get any sleep for three days, your, you know, quote, spiritual life 
is going to be affected. If your spiritual life it can affect your your matter, your physical life, if you will. And and I'm not I'm not making I'm not making a sharp dualist claim here. I'm just saying that there is if if we grant that there is two realms, that one affecting the other does not lead to the conclusion that we don't have free will. All right. And so people, so if the I mean, causation works both ways, if the physical causes the immaterial, uh, makes changes in the immaterial, um, then I think it's even worse of a case for free will because if, if the physical is deterministic, isn't that going to have an outcome on the immaterial? How does the immaterial preserve its metaphysical freedom if the material can impinge on it? Yeah, I think, well, I think they can they can affect each other. That's what I'm saying. But I don't. How does that not lead to? How does that? I'm not sure. If if we grant that the free will is the see, and I I just I think we have a metaphysics here. Yeah, we is, do. Very gnostic. We have it's it's too gnostic to me. It's too uh, it's too. There's too much of a of a duality between the matter and the spirit. It seems to me, and that there should be. It, it, it's much more unified. Well, I agree. I'm not advocating for dualism, and I understand well, that your scriptural so, traditions may may have a closer match than right. that. So, so I don't so want see, to misrepresent not, Christianity. I want to understand how to, how does it work then in your mind? Because if we're going to at one point, if if you're doing the whole contracausal thing, you are making a firm distinction between the immaterial and the material. If you're saying the mind or whatever can operate in a causal vacuum now. No input from the exter- external world, your previous behaviors, um, environmental influences, none of that strictly determines the choice. Well, then you can't maintain that in one situation and then turn around in another and say, well, <laughs> it's a much closer fit than that. Well, I, I, I let's see if this helps. I would say that the, that the, the person can, uh, has that ability to, to make these free choices, but the person um, operates through a through through the body. I mean, the body is part of the person, and so if the if the body isn't isn't functioning properly, then then I think that would impinge on how the person. Right, the piano functions. analogy. Like, I mean, I I haven't learned how to speak Chinese, so <laughs> I cannot freely choose to speak Chinese at this moment. I mean, my my freedom is limited there. I mean, I currently, in my right mind, at least I think I'm in my right mind, I cannot freely choose to do just anything that is conceivable. I am I am limited by my education. Well, I understand there are, basic, there are basic constraints. I, I understand that and, and acknowledge that. I don't think that itself creates a problem for your position. But we're actually talking about when this comes down, rubber meets the road to moral choices. Uh, and it, And if it seems that physical events have altered that, and then it becomes much more difficult to maintain that one has some sort of absolute free will that they can they can choose then amongst the options that are presented to them within their limitations they can choose whatever they want so i mean let's let's deepen the problem a little bit we talked about phineas gage and his his attitude changing um, but a lot of the uh, a lot of the psychological information that supports a deterministic worldview in my in my mind um, actually can work on people with normally functioning brains. Um, as far as we have many different influences that we are not consciously aware of that can be shown experimentally to have an effect on our decisions. Um, so um, there are there are environmental factors. I mean something as simple as 
people who are being exposed to – I think it was uh, people who were exposed to – what was it? You know, um, bad smells, unpleasant smells um, – would then that would determine, and this would be on an unconscious level. We could tell by measuring heart rate that they were exposed to it, uh, but they were not consciously aware of the stimu- uh, of the of the stimulus. That changed their perception of whether or not people were friendly or not. They cha- they judged people's characters differently. All throughout psychology, we have priming effects, which is somehow you prime a person with a concept. Maybe you have them unscramble a word. Um, um, This is one study by Brock and Cartrand, and I can send you a link to it. Um, But it's a classic priming study where the person is primed with words of rudeness, so words like bold or interrupt, and they have to unscramble these words. Um, People who are primed with that, um, and then they're asked – then they have to have a conversation with an experimenter. They would interrupt the experimenter more often if they were primed with rude words than if they were primed with polite words. Now, when they were screened after the experiment, they had no idea uh, that that these that these words were influencing their behavior. They didn't know what was what was actually playing a causal role. And there there are tons of studies where priming is kind of the bread and butter of a, of a lot of psychology right now. And in fact, biblical passages and stuff are used too to measure priming effects. And it could go on, hormonal differences um, and how they shape our our emotions, um, genetic influences. Over and over again, we see influences on our behavior that we are completely unaware of. We have no idea about it. Now, that's a normal human being. Yeah, and I guess that doesn't see the conflict Well, well, yeah. So, So two quick questions then, Jeremy. Do you see a logical difference between an influence and a absolute cause? Do I see it? Yeah. Yes. Be. Yes. Of course. Okay. So I mean, I mean, I guess that's that's really kind of the only point. But that's I think that's not the issue. Is what I'm not saying here is, is that, that this one thing in the environment determined everything. But what I'm saying is, if the person jumps in and chooses, how can a person make a free choice if they're unaware of the stimulus and how it's affecting them? These people don't well, have I, any I don't idea of they... what's going on. So how can you make a free choice in the dark about what your own motivations and intentions are? Well, it seems like you would still, even even being influenced, you still are able to make a choice. Like again, that's not. I, I'm still not seeing that influence equals necessity. The question that's, isn't that's influence equals necessity. The question is, how is it a free choice if you aren't even aware of what's yeah, so what's I don't, underwriting I don't, I don't the choice? I don't see how it has to. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe it's the definition of free. I don't I don't necessarily see how it has to be completely in a vacuum to be free will still. And I mean, so maybe it's just semantics, how we're using free, like complete libertarian, well, no influences, no then I might be a, no. Then I might be attacking the wrong position. Explain to me how free will Perhaps. works. Well, I, I, I maybe Don, you and I are on opposite sides, or on, not quite in the same seat on this one. Um, and, and I haven't studied the, the arguments about free will uh, ad nauseum or at length, but I think that we can... We can choose, let's say, in a vacuum. You know, I, I could actually choose the dog poo if given the option between dog poo and cake. I, I really could, but I, I don't. Every choice that I make isn't made in a vacuum. While I can choose 
sort of against the influences. The influences definitely do tend to me in a certain direction. I think poo smells bad, and the idea of eating dog poo really, really is apart from anything that I want to do. And so I'd say that, you know, given a million shots, I'm really never going to eat the dog poo, though I think I could. That's, that's okay. That's could. okay, but that's pretty inconsequential. Uh, what we're talking about here is... What gives you the ability to get around – I mean you, you've agreed with me, right? If, if the world is all matter and material, um, then, we, then we're deterministic. Now, what I'm asking agreed, is yeah. you think there's something in addition to matter and material. How does that work and yeah. how does that allow us free choice? Okay, so, so now, now we can – now I guess – well, this is what I'm saying. Now we can I, explain the Christian question. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know the mechanics of it, if that's what you mean by how, how the spiritual – well, well that's okay. I, I couldn't. I couldn't hold you to, to yeah. every little step in the process. We can't do that either in, in right. a naturalistic worldview. Right. right. So, but I do. I do think logically, I can see how even even being influenced on different sides, that one could make a choice in opposition to one of the influence. I mean, just but not if you were in a naturalistic that. world. So, what's different well, that's allowing no, you to and, do that? And I'm saying, Right, no, not in a naturalistic world. But right. In, so, but what's different that's allowing you to do that? You are not. You are not as a person. You're not in a closed system of cause and effect in which matter is all there is. There is okay. a spiritual dimension to you that has the ability to, in a sense, create. If, if you want to use that mm -hmm. word, is that a soul? You can. Uh, I'm not. Sure. I don't know what term I would necessarily use for that. I'm just saying it's 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 not matter, right? It's probably not matter. But it is uh, but, a substance. It's some sort of immaterial substance. Well, I don't, again, I don't, I, don't, I don't know the mechanics of it, and I don't claim to know the uh, makeup of it. You know, uh, I'm just this is this is the this is the Christian worldview. I believe is that matter is not all there is. Mm -hmm. There is another dimension uh, out there, <laughs> out there. You know, here. So it's it's not something that is mechanical in that sense. But it seems to me that this is the case. That even with all the influences. I can still ultimately make certain decisions. Maybe not every decision. I don't think I make a decision about my knee jerking up when the doctor hammers it with the thing, you know, that kind of thing, right? But uh, I do think we make decisions. And, and here's, here's the other thing, Jeremy. I think that, that we all operate as if that's the case, and this, this strengthens my position. Let me give you an example. Your, your email to, that you copied me on, this is, this is the, your listener <laughs> that emailed you, and then you replied to him, and you copied me on it. Thank you for, for that. You, you, you said to him in response to the show, you said, I've listened to the show. That would be the Don Johnson show. Most of it was arguing against a straw man. I don't think it was intentional. I think they just misunderstood our position. And you said it's easy to do. Now, why would you say, I don't think it was intentional? Right up there, it seems to me. Well, actually, let me read the rest of your email, so just so people have some context. I don't think it was intentional. I think they just misunderstood our position. It's easy to do. We could have been more clear, and it's also very, a very complicated topic. Uh, you said you'd be contacting us next week to see if uh, we can be on the show. Uh, a couple of Reasonable Doubts fans have asked us to deliver a SmackDown, but Don seems sincere to me, so I'd like to keep it as polite as possible. Now, this email seems to indicate to me that you are seeing, at least you're operating as if, there was choices made on many, many levels. One, there was a choice made on my part not to, to volitionally distort your argument in order to break it down. You, we could have done that, it seems like, and that would have been a bad thing to set up a straw man, but you don't think we did that. You think that we chose not to do that, and we were sincere. We honestly thought that we were presenting your argument as you presented it, and so we've made a bunch of choices. And then you, it seems like, 
think as if you're making a bunch of choices because you say, I could, I could go and smack them down, but I don't think that's the right thing to do, so I'm going to make a choice not to do that. Am I misunderstanding that whole interaction? I mean, it sure seems like there's a lot of choices being made there. Yeah, you're, you're misunderstanding the whole point of determinism again. Um, it's, well, again, it's in a, perfectly in a fine. That's what I'm getting at. In a deterministic worldview, I don't think that email makes much sense. I mean, with all due respect, it, it's like, well, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll try and get on their show. All right, all right. Let's and, take this apart bit you know I mean? by bit. Let's take this apart right. bit by bit. Okay, first scenario. Do you agree that in a deterministic world, a person could misrepresent a person's uh, a position because they didn't like them and they didn't think they had to pay close enough attention to what they were saying? Uh, do you think fraud can happen, deception can happen in a deterministic world? No, I don't think that makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, things just happen. I mean, things are things would be wrong in the sense that what I said is objectively does not match up to what you were trying to say. So, so basically, basically, it wouldn't, you, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Basically, what I mean, you think? When I, when I guess when you say fraud, when you say fraud, I, I basically what throw, you think determinism fraud. means. Basically, in your mind, what determinism means is that there's no mental life at all. Well, in, in what sense? I, I mean, I guess if, if you're saying in the non-physical sense, I mean, isn't right, that, what that, that we're, that we're zombies. Risk? You're basically thinking that we're zombies. That, no, no, that, deterministic as, that, that in a deterministic world, people would all just be walking around, you know, doing the exact next thing that had to happen with no mental life at all playing a role. Well, mental life would just be a part of that process. Exactly. So there you just, go. Everybody would, That's the answer to the whole thing that you it. just said. Mental life is just part of the process, right? And in some people's mental lives, in some people's mental lives, they just don't understand what the other person is saying to them, which is what I think is your case, which is what we're struggling with right now. Um, and in some cases, people are deliberately, in other words, they have the will, they have a feeling that makes them want to deceive. Maybe they know they don't have they the right have arguments. Now, that doesn't mean that every step of that isn't caused. That doesn't mean that there's no neurological underpinning, that this all happens in a cloud floating over their head. It can now, happen. Just clarify for me. They have, they have the will to deceive. How, how is that possible if they don't have a choice? They have a, they maybe have I'm a, not getting the wording. Again, as far as there are, there are desires... There are inclinations in a certain area. The point is that those things don't happen in a causal vacuum. They came somewhere. So maybe you have a kind of aggressive temperament. Maybe that your, your biology is fit in a way that you're easily angry. Maybe your past life, maybe your experience pri prior in life, um, you were never, you know, brought up with any sort of values that emphasized truth or anything else like that. And all of that goes into the mix. And so then when we come down to this particular situation, that person is ready to deceive. It can have a long causal chain of influence. Um, and that's, that's absolutely fine. It doesn't mean that it, it, that those choices have to work, you know, floating out in, in the world somewhere, in where. Well, I, I think, uh Jeremy, I think you're making sense. I think it doesn't. Um, and, and I do want to say something. This view, is but. this is. I I, I do want to say something here. Um, you should really 
there's there's like a, a teaching company series on determinism. There's all sorts of philosophical books out there on determinism. I'm not aware of any determinists who think the way um, that you believe determinists think. And I'm also not aware of any libertarian, uh, pro-libertarian people who would make these types of arguments. I think this is this is a deep unfamiliarity with the entire ground that we're arguing on, on your part. Well, well, I think, but here's the thing. I think most of the determinists are bad philosophers and they don't see the logical end of their worldview. That's, I mean, I, I, not, not to be arrogant. Well, then some of the mean, best people but, arguing but, for libertarianism should be pointing out the same things you're, you're pointing out and they don't seem to be doing possibly. it. They seem yeah, to I mean, be perfectly, perfectly capable of, of seeing uh, uh, a, a mental life being available to determinists and that sort of thing. Yeah, can I ask one question just to make sure that I understand that point? Go ahead. So, because I'm really trying to figure it out. So, in 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 the deterministic system, there is a a track of dominoes. Let's just say we we have the track of dominoes that existed as my morning mm-hmm. today. Um, we have all these causal factors. These are all the dominoes that precede the the one in which I choose to have a muffin for breakfast. So. That that choice you're saying it is a choice, but it is still a domino uh, in the in the train. It, it was it was struck by a previous domino, and it will then go and strike another one like me. Well, you know, this this might be um, the source of the problem here, uh, um, because this is this is way too oversimplified of a model. L- let me give you a different one that's still very simple. Let's move to dominoes. Let's start talking about thermostats. Okay, because a domino okay. is a domino is just an exact uh, chain of cause and effect. You know, there's only one input, yep. one domino falling on it, and there's only one right. thing a domino could possibly do, and that is fall over. That's not well, a good yeah, model to be thinking about this. Let, let me. You're saying, that, I mean, there's countless influences. Let on me. Yes. Let me share. Nothing. I get that. Let me share my model. A therm a thermostat. Okay, in your household, what does it do? It is it is arranged in a certain way. Its components are built uh, in in a certain way that if it is set uh, by the environment to a certain uh, setting on the temperature monitor, then what it does is it takes in sensory information from the environment around it. That sensory information resonates in the little intricate parts of the of the machine and responds to what it's set to, and then it acts on on that basis what it should do and then that changes the temperature of the room and gets it up to sink now that is more like the ter- determinist picture of things it's it's not as if there's just you know one input one outcome and everything falls down in in a way that's completely predictable to anybody in the room it's more like there's information coming through the past um, it is meeting you in your present state, state and all your knobs and all your settings and however you're set by the world and that it is producing a behavior that goes out and makes an impact in the world around you and changes it. That's the, that's so, more but, but close to what a determinist you, thinks. Sure. Again, I'm not seeing – so theoretically, if you knew all of the inputs, you could accurately predict the output. Theoretically, I mean, I don't know how the quantum deter- I mean, this this becomes right, an I mean, issue for the quantum indeterminism. So I don't really know how that makes an impact. But if we were to just kind of sweep that under the rug for a moment, then yes, yeah, I would say sure. theoretically, if you knew everything, yes, you could see how it would all turn right. out. 
And and incidentally, this is incidentally this is um, this bears on physics too. We we did talk about quantum indeterminism. Um, but we didn't actually mention relativity, and relativity has some things to say about this. In Einstein's theory, time and space are um, are unified; uh, they are they are uh, part of the same fabric of, of space time. And Einstein is famous for saying time is an illusion. Uh, so if you could crane your head over the whole thing and get outside of time, in a real sense, the future exists somewhere right now. We're just not there. Uh, we, we experience, we, we travel along the dimension of time in only one direction. So, uh, even from the theory of, uh, from the standpoint of relativity, everything that will happen is somehow exists. We're just not there yet. Sure. Are you familiar with the, the distinction between what is called the A theory of time and the B theory of time? Uh, no, not off the top no. of my head. No, okay, well, no, never mind. I, I, I think I understand what you're saying. I've heard of it in different terms. That's okay. I don't need to go talk about it at all. Yeah, great. So, if I'm, again, I'm, I guess I'm, so if I'm following you correctly, we don't blame when, when the heater kicks on or the air conditioning kicks on. I'm not making moral judgments about that. No, no but you might, you case. might change its setting, though. You might change its setting if it's but a little if, if too I hot did, in the room. If I, if I, and how sure, would you change its that, setting? I, well, that would be the result by interacting of with the thermostat. Causing. Sure, and I, I would become part of the thermostat's chain then. Yes. And now again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take any sort of moral high ground then. Ooh, I made a good choice in turning the thermostat up or down. These things just happen because they happen. They yes. Happen. Right. Okay. So, so we're not making choices. Things just happen. But yeah, we don't operate. That's all I'm saying is the data. We don't operate as if that's hap- that's the case. We make moral judgments on people. You you shouldn't have lied to me. What do you mean I shouldn't have? I had to lie to you. You shouldn't have set up that straw man. Well, but right. I had, that's, so the language, know, right? so the language, all, in other words, the language is a little bit antiquated, and the raw gut emotional reaction is a little bit antiquated. But it's still entirely the behavior still entirely makes sense because when you're getting angry oh, at somebody, oh, I'm not, I'm you're adjusting not, the yeah, thermostat. Right. So, 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 what, so yes. If I were to, if I were to speak, how should we speak about it? If, if I were to speak in a way that was completely consistent with with a deterministic metaphysics, yeah, it would be it would be a tangle, you know, because English language has yeah, evolved that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, now, so, so this but is but that I, is but that is not a. We still talk about the we still talk about the sun rising and the sun setting. We know that it's actually the world that turns. Uh, we don't we don't you know say that there's we don't make anything of that. We don't say well, right, you know no, you still no, talk about the no, sun as if it rises and sets. You know that that's absolutely. pretty irrelevant. Now here's where then we probably disagree. You see, I don't think all language is metaphorical or allegorical. I think when I say Hitler is wrong, Hitler was evil, I think those are actually corresponds to reality in a very objective way. I'm not I'm not That's just fine. That's a huge Hitler, jump into different territory, but that's that's fine. I'm just, no, I'm, just saying, I'm I'm saying language I think I don't think language is completely arbitrary or antiquated. I think much of our language reflects reality. Well, I don't so either. I didn't, and I wasn't. I hope you didn't think I was saying that all language is antiquated. Well, well no, no, just, I was like thinking like some of the language of choice, some of the language yeah, of choice yeah, 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 yeah. goes against. Yeah, the, 
within your within a materialistic worldview, much of the language we use would have to be wrong. It would have to be antiquated, if you will. All of the moral language, all of the choice language, would should be discarded. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> well, if, 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 if we wanted to speak and and to be fully clear and and not really misleading, then we'd have to throw it out. All right, but, but is but, this really a problem? Is this really a problem for anybody? I mean, I, seriously, what the, well, I, I my, think, that was a a big issue here. The the sun rising. Do you do you think that's a problem when people say the sun rises and the sun sets? Do you I think, think that's an issue? Do you think they're not reflecting the world correctly? When they're using that that I think it's a, that it's, phrase, just a, I think it's a problem. We have callers to my show unwilling to say that Hitler was an evil man because they don't believe objective reality exists, and therefore they don't have an objective standard for for morality. Did I say that? That's that's the problem. No, no, I'm, no, 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 I'm, I'm, no, absolutely, I'm not saying you did. Oh well, because you just brought up that instance, I thought maybe you were yeah, <laughs> you were absolutely. thinking that's what I was doing. But back to my question. No, well, no. Back to my question. Do you think it's wrong? Do you think it shouldn't be the case when people say things like the sun rises and the sun sets? No, I think that's fine. Good. Then you admit to this. Then you admit to the same principle. We can use language that isn't a perfect reflection of reality, but it helps us because it feels natural, because it's a shorthand, oh. because we shouldn't all have to sound like little robotic philosophers every every day. <laughs> if we, I, I think if you're if making an robots. issue out of something that's a complete non-issue. I am here. not. No. <laughs> no, right. no, I don't think so. If we are robots, it's surprising to me that we use these, this language that is non-robotic and that it is – to me, it's an indication. The history of language, I don't think there is – in any civilization, there has ever been robotic language that is value-free and choice-free. So, so human beings and should so, start standing up out of the savanna and start talking like philosophers. I mean, they should, they come on. In accordance with Ch- children you don't, don't pop out of the saying, womb talking in, 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 in is, propositions and syllogisms me, either. It is interesting to me that you hold a worldview that you don't think we should use the language that appropriates that worldview, that corresponds to the reality of the worldview. You think we should use language that comes from a more theistic worldview and value-laden worldview because that is more helpful. I do try, I mean, to, I do try to alter my language when it makes sense. I do try to clarify exactly what I mean in certain situations, but yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to revise all of society and swap out our vocabulary. I mean, when at the end of the day, I need to communicate things with people, right? And there's there's a stock of terms. This is amazing to me. There's an amazing to me that you're making an issue out of this. Well, it's amazing to me that that, that we would be trying to hold to a worldview that we cannot communicate. But it is impossible to communicate. That. I'm communicating it. That, it's difficult. More, it's not impossible. I'm communicating it just fine. And if we did try to communicate it, then your your email about you know me not deserving a smackdown because I didn't make good choices. I mean, how how would that normally have sounded using a robotic deterministic worldview without I, any values attached? This this is a complete waste of time. Unless we're going to move on to something more relevant. I, I don't think right, well, I need to go uh, on with I, this anymore. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, all right. How about how about this for a last question? The last objection we made is that ultimately, if everything is determined, there is no way to distinguish the objective reality of one guy's statement versus another guy's statement, one person's belief versus another's belief. From a within a materialistic deterministic worldview, is there any reason to believe that everything you have told us corresponds to reality? How should we? How are we able to judge it? 
Absolutely, right? Because of what good would the thermostat be if it couldn't actually bring in accurate temperatures from its environment and, and actually change it? There'd be no purpose for it. So I, I think first we need to start with a, a critical reason why I shouldn't be able to. Why does materialism, why does determinism say we couldn't understand the world or couldn't have truth in your mind? It, the, the problem is that we wouldn't know it. It's, it's an epistemological problem. We might, you might be right, but there would be no way to know that you were right. Why wouldn't we know it? it well, like, if, if I was determined to not, like, how could I change my mind on it? I mean, if I'm determined to not be persuaded by your argumentation, well, what am I to do with that? Even if you are correct, like, I can't... Uh, you're you're uh, thinking of this like somebody millions of years ago said that when this conversation happens, he will not be able to change his mind. You're determined to understand based on all the all the immediacies of the the situation. If I if I maybe explain things slightly differently, maybe then you would understand. So I, I I don't I don't understand what the nature of the objection is. It, it sounds vaguely like something C.S. Lewis said or the evolutionary argument against naturalism. Is that is that what you're getting at? Uh, it might be. Could explain that one to us. <laughs> how are you? Under- how, how, how you, you want me to supply it? you with the argument to refute my position? Well, I'm just. How, how do you? How do you understand that? that well, there are some that way? say, okay, well, if it all evolved somehow, if 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 it all evolved materially, then then why would we think our perceptions of the world would have to match external reality? Is is basically uh, the idea of the argument? Maybe. Maybe evolution would give us some shortcuts that got us close to the truth, but didn't get us all the way. Uh, is is one way you could frame yeah, it? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking that. I'm thinking more philosophically. If in fact we are in a closed system of cause and effect, that in which no choices are ever actually made, then reasoning is impossible in the sense that we don't we don't weigh different arguments. And decide on the best one. We you don't, don't think compare. there could be a deterministic process for weighing something. No, we no. don't compare. Not in the not in the sense that we compare. You don't it think that information could come that you'd integrate it into well, your me, schema. Let me just, no, let me just when I let me expand on what I mean by weigh something uh, or, or reason through something. I compare it to a standard and see which one better matches up. And in a deterministic worldview, I don't think there would be any way to compare to a standard and decide, all right, weigh the pros and cons and decide if this is rational or if this is rational. Everything is all predetermined. You're just inside the machine. There's no, there's no getting out of it. So if Brandon comes and his, his long chain of causality has brought him to the determination that we are all somebody's dream, and then my friend Joe comes, and his long chain of reality has led him to the belief that uh, there is a God. And my long chain of causality has led me to the belief that we are in a closed system of cause and effect. Amongst the three, how would we debate and compare those positions? With, if, if, in fact, I was correct, if, if we are actually all in. So Brandon is wrong. Well, presumably Joe's you wrong. all arrived at your positions through some sort of past education, wrestling with ideas and well, that sort of thing. Whatever, yeah, yeah, We're not going to divorce that from at, it. Right. Yeah. But there, there'd be, okay, uh, so we just, continue, we just continue the process. Maybe you're presenting somebody with several uh, 
several conclusions and pieces of evidence that contradict their worldview. Maybe they start experiencing cognitive dissonance, you know, and that's a measured thing as well. This is studied, uh, and the person becomes uncomfortable because there's their worldview has been uh, unsettled a bit. Uh, then they try to seek to resolve this discomfort, and how are they going to do it? Well, maybe they'll try to shore up their worldview. Uh, maybe there won't be enough enough evidence to do that. Maybe they'll have to start grappling or flirting or entertaining with the other side. I, I don't see how – why couldn't this all work in a process of cause and effect? Why do you need somebody in a causal vacuum uh, well, would, doing that? That, that, may, that may in fact happen within the cause and effect. I'm I mean the most simplest – let's the most simple – we could reduce this to the most simple form of learning, right, which doesn't even require rationality. The most simple form of lear- learning, um, you know, basic paired association, um, you know, basic um, um, you know, ba- behavioral conditioning by the environment. Animals, when they hit a feeder pellet, learn that a piece of food comes out. They get a nice little reward in their brain. And then they learn that they should hit that pellet more until it starts giving them electronic shocks. And then they learn they shouldn't be able to do that. I mean, that's a very, that's one of the most simple elementary forms of learning that exists out there in the world. It's completely deterministic. So what's the problem with, with building on that? If an animal, you trained an animal. If the, Incidentally, so you, we learn yeah, in the same way to some degree, so, so, too. It's not yeah, just okay, animals. So we're all like animals. Right, so we're all like animals. We're all within the, the closed system of cause and effect, yet we have learned different things. That's what I'm saying. We live in a universe where very few people believe that we live in a closed system of cause and effect. You know, if you all had the exact billions same genetics, if you all had the exact same genetics and you all had the same environmental influences and everything else was exactly the same, then it would be surprising that you came to different conclusions. But that's not going to be the case in any real world. And so I don't see where the surprise is. How would we know that? Uh, you could tell like, each other making, that you I'm don't. Not, no, no, I, 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 I'm not even getting through the brain. No, no, I, I think I, I, I think I understand what Jeremy's saying, and and I think it, the answer is that, that that's just what happens. I mean, Jeremy's using descriptive words. Well, well, then one guy might go and do this, and one guy might do this, but um, it didn't, this objection. Well, Jeremy, I, I mean, no offense here. I don't think Jeremy's answering really how you could know it. I don't think that's a problem for the determinist. I don't think the determinist needs to have that sort of epistemological answer. Now, I might be really are, missing both of you, but 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 I Are I think, you saying we don't have sure. a are you saying we don't have a method for suit, for sorting out truth from falsity? Yeah, I think that's more or less Don's point. Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think that is my point. Why yeah, does that and, follow? And it's Jeremy, it's, well, a man sees a mirage. A man sees a mirage in the desert. Believes that it's water. Right. Walks out to the source. Gets right up to it. Realizes that his deterministic senses have been deceived by an optical illusion. Scoops down and doesn't find any water. Finds only sand and learns that he was mistaken. How, how is that? How is that difficult to understand? You know, we could start learning to evaluate truth based on that. Well, my senses can sometimes deceive me. This experience has determined it has caused me to start evaluating my different perceptual experiences and realizing that not all of them are reliable. Through a long right. process and, and of cultural it. evolution, we build up certain s- systems and tools and languages, um, and that ultimately is what philosophy and language is. It's a tool 
to help us to to do this better on a more refined Ooh. process. How uh, it's 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 imperative on an organism to be able to tell uh, the difference between a, a true situation and a false one. Many times, many times, it can make the difference between life or death. So I, I don't see why this is so, such a, a difficult thing to fathom. Well, I I I, I understand the, your worldview, and I, I think it is. Um, I, I think it works to itself. I happen to think it's false. But like when you use words like evaluate, I think that we on this side of the microphone would get hung up on. Well, that very evaluation is deterministic. So I mean, the the finer, the the deeper. You Here's want a great to example of an evaluations that can even go beyond. They can even go lower than the level of conscious awareness. Um, here's a the recent study that came out of the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. It's related to moral choice. What they did is they took transcranial magnetic stimulators, basically a huge magnet, and they put it on this part of the brain called the right temporoparietal junction that is related to moral judgments. And then they gave them a moral scenario. They gave them a moral, moral scenario about a guy, a boyfriend who leads his girlfriend onto uh, a bridge. And in both scenarios, uh, the girl uh, sprained her ankle. But in one scenario, the boyfriend didn't intend that. That wasn't his intention. In the other scenario, uh, the boyfriend did that deliberately, was actually trying to get her there to twist her ankle. Now, when people were – when they had the magnets put on that part of their brain that involves that involves moral choices, it's actually – it deals with how we read people's intentions and their, their kind of their emotional um, situation. And, and when they did that, those people, that part of their brain that did that was knocked out of commission. Suddenly, they started making their moral judgments of the situation based solely on the consequences – without any reference to the person's intentions. Now, there's a clear case of where a brain, a part of a brain that's essential for that has been shut down. It affected the person's moral deliberations and their evaluations of right or wrong. That's a deterministic relationship between that. Now, there's a lot more that goes into a moral judgment than just what is done by the right temporal parietal junction. Uh, but the, but the sure. point is we can come to evaluations, we can come to understandings uh, of situations that are, are completely below the level of conscious, um, conscious awareness. So one sure. does not and, have and, to and be I, engaged. I would, I would agree with that too. All right. Well, Hello? do you see oh, how that you, creates a problem for your objection? No, well, not at all. I mean, we're we're down to the the an hour and a half. I um, <laughs> I, I I didn't get to expand the the Mozart with the piano thing, but I think that it it um, it still works, and I wasn't able to flesh it all out. That's I, okay. I, I, I think that um, it, in well, Don, are, are we are we going to wrap this up and continue another day, or how how much longer do you want to go on this? Whatever. Okay, I hope we well, can wrap well, this up because I need to get going home. In in the analogy with the pianist and the piano, okay. the the sound that comes out of the piano would be in in this analogy the moral choosing, not not the pianist. Okay. So if you were to break strings in the piano, then the moral choosing is different. So if or or, or choosing at all. So in the so in the, the pianist uh, still you know, wants to play the pianist still wants to play those notes. 
And they right. do, and they, they hit it. They hit it, but it just doesn't come out. So somewhere well, in there, there's a they, mind that understands the choice that it wants to make. It's just the, the, there's something about how it turns out no, no, that no, doesn't no. work. No, I'm, I'm I'm not saying it super well. The the the, the piano and the pianist. I'm, I don't want to divide those two within the person. It's just that the 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 physical components could be damaged and thus affect the choices, the sound that comes out of the piano. So if you were to, you know, uh, deal with this part of the brain and the person then does not make the same sort of choices, you say that that is a deterministic... um, Yeah, but uh, what you're getting here, what you're not getting here is, what about physical differences? What about some people whose right temporal parietal junction isn't as strong as others? What about people who don't, you know, they're, they're, we are all different. If you look at the biology of, you know, of, if you sure. look at neuroscience, yeah, right. well, there are individual differences are in adults. these brain structures. So if yeah. in a real world scenario, somebody doesn't have the same kind of functioning in that area, right. are we yeah. not going to say then that they're, that their their influences, their way of thinking about morality, and then some of their choices are going to have it's going to be impacted by the nature of their brain. No, they, they definitely will be. If you have somebody who's completely unable, um, this is kind of the case for some autistics, completely unable. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't, I don't judge. So my you agree they don't, they don't the have complete freedom of will. I, it, well, it doesn't follow though that they don't have free will. I, I don't judge my children according to the same standard as I do. Does an autistic a child? Man. Do you get mad at an autistic? child? I don't child? judge an autistic child, right? I don't judge an autistic child to the same standard as I do a normal child. But that doesn't mean. But that doesn't mean they don't have free will. No free will. No, it doesn't. My, it my doesn't. kid still has free will, even though it is. All not, right, he, let's he, let's make his, this even more moral character. You visit grandma in the hospital. You visit grandma in the hospital. She has she has uh, Alzheimer's, and uh, yeah, and uh, and she doesn't remember your name. Did she have free will to remember your name or not? Probably, I, I suspect not at that point. But that doesn't mean that she doesn't have free will in her whole life. I mean, how how does that how does that follow? It doesn't mean that. But what point. it means is, if we acknowledge in one situation that some a difference in the brain. Is going to have an impact yeah, on on their mental life. It's going to change the the options that are available to them and how they could possibly behave. Well, then Absolutely. we have to we Absolutely. have to say that for all parts of the brain. We have to say that for for the entire system. What well, we have to acknowledge. I'm not sure we do. I don't think. Why do we? <laughs> okay. Well, I don't <laughs> think this is going anywhere, guys. Well, I, yeah, I'm, that's I, you're right. I don't see that. I don't see that just because we are that uh, children are different than adults or that. My, uh, you know, patience level is lower when I'm very tired. That 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 automatically means it doesn't logically follow tightly that I. Don't you don't see have how that will. constrains your choice and makes it it makes it a certain way where where that that you it can't dictate it. It might it might constrain it, but I don't think it dictates it. My it, my experience is because there's something that's out of the causal chain, but it doesn't always work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and you know maybe maybe that, that that's just that's just the end of it. You know, well we see it that way, and and, and you see it your way, and, and well, believe and, me, this was not a, anywhere I mean, close to an even match. You guys, seriously, I, I mean, I I understand you're not always prepared for the counter arguments people are going to throw at me. I've had a lot of stumpers presented to me from people too. That's how I learn, and that's how I grow. 
But that's that is something you guys need to do. If if you're serious about this issue, you need to start picking up some of the literature on this and reading it. I don't even think Moreland and many of the Christian apologists uh, who who oppose determinism. Um, would would have the same view of it that you guys do. You you seriously need to look more into the background of this issue. Yeah, well, that may be, but I, I still I, all I'm saying is on a very simple. You know, I'm not agreed. I'm I'm not. I don't have a PhD in philosophy, but on a very simple level, logically, it does not follow that if we are influenced, that we are determined. It just. I never said. I never said influence equals complete. You know the complete causal it, chain. Okay, let me let me rephrase it. I don't think it follows that if in certain areas of our life that uh, causation has an effect, that in all areas of life that we are determined. This again logically does not follow. Even if even if there is just one tiny little area of life <laughs> that that we can call spirit. That's all I need for my argument to be sound. Well, you know what? Even I'll leave you. I'll leave you guys. I'll leave you. I'll leave you guys on one point. It was interesting that you brought up the critique against us that you found determinism to be unfalsifiable. You've just given us an incredible example of how your position on free will is completely unfalsifiable. And I'll leave you with that, guys. And I'm looking forward to hearing your response to it. Uh, yeah, you want to expand on that a little bit? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to respond. No, you've wasted know. enough of my time like... tonight, guys. Have a good time. Okay, and now uh, I'm back here with Jeremy. This this interview you recorded all oh, about a week and a half ago now uh, from the time that we're recording this, correct? Mm-hmm. So you've had time to maybe... Calm down, and <laughs> <laughs> although I, although uh, I, the first thing I want to say is you were much more patient and restrained than I would have been if I had been on the show. Um, so I applaud you for that. <laughs> I, I know you feel like there were times when when you maybe weren't as patient as you should have been. Well, it was unprofessional of me to hang up on them. I I clearly acknowledge that. I, I take some real issues with their original episode, but we can kind of let that slide now. I thought you showed, again, great restraint. I think it's over an hour in before I went, ooh, Jeremy's really frustrated. It, it got straining after a while because I felt like I was trying to explain the same things over and over again. And I felt like there was no effort on their behalf to try to meet me halfway and try to actually think about what I was trying to say and, and understand it. Right. One point you said, all things being equal. And they said, well, yeah, but are all things equal? Right. Right. That, that was <laughs> – I mean that, that was the point where I went – Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, that that was the moment when I realized, okay, these guys are shields up. Yep. <laughs> they're in a mode where they're ready to nitpick on anything that I give them. Right. Uh, they're they're going to challenge just for the sake of challenging it and uh, not really truly trying to understand our position. So, yeah, that was, that was when I started getting nervous too. Like, okay, <laughs> is the entire conversation going to be going this way? And, and, and I liked how you kept trying to steer them back on course. And, and when they would go down these rabbit trails, you would point that out and say, this isn't getting us anywhere. Let's stick to the topic here. Um, very frustrating though. 
because I didn't make any closing remarks, I just hung oh, up on although them. I think Click <laughs> said it all right there. Yeah, Click was a bit of a closer. Yeah. Uh, I wanted a chance to do so. It seemed that the argument he, he picked at the end was to say, well, all I can do is show influences. And there's a gap between saying someone is influenced and saying one is fully caused or fully determined. Right. As long as that gap exists, his position can still be sound. It's a free will of the gaps, much like any God of the gaps argument. As we come to understand the brain, we understand more how choices are determined, and he's going to then go into the, the gray area, you know, the area that we can't tell. Not literally the gray area, because that's... <laughs> okay. Yeah. Given some remarks earlier made by them that sounded a lot to me like reformed epistemology, a, a certain approach in apologetics, I can speculate what he's thinking there. And I, and I do admit, I, I don't know exactly what his, his position, what his approach to apologetics is, so I am just speculating here. I could be wrong. But those who are familiar with reformed apologetics, reformed epistemology, and I think we've talked about it briefly on the show in the mm-hmm. context of uh, Alvin Plattinga and some others, yeah. yep. um, is that they their basic approach to apologetics is that their core beliefs, their core Christian doctrines, they don't feel the need to defend those. They just assume those. They just presuppose those. And what they go about doing is they set up uh, all these debates as basically a clash of worldviews, and they try to look then and see which one is the most coherent. They try to argue that the Christian worldview is the most coherent, it's, it's, it's internally consistent, and then they will try to argue that the naturalist position isn't. So if you think of his final comments in that context, I think he feels then that he's, he's victorious in all of this. There's a couple of problems I see with that. First of all, his position was not coherent. It was not internally consistent, as you could see in the whole discussion about dualism we got into. He could barely stipulate exactly what it is that makes that free choice, let alone how the immaterial interacts with the material world. And anybody who's familiar with these debates knows that that issue is where dualism goes to die. It's just impossible to give a coherent and consistent account of how the immaterial can interact with the material. But what about this gap between influence and cause? One route I could have taken was not to speak of influences at all, just to speak of causes. But the reason why I didn't want to do that is because we need to have some intellectual humility about this issue and recognize that we don't have a complete account for how the brain works. We can't, for any choice, give a completely deterministic account of every step in the causal chain of how you get there. There still is a gap in our understanding. But as we've seen with other debates and issues like evolution and that sort of thing, you don't need to know every single step in the process to to get the general picture of what is going on. And there are facts in psychology that need to be reckoned with. And that's why I think this comes down to more than just a battle of worldviews and who is more coherent. We need to account for how our theories correspond to the world around us. Uh, I think in situations like this, you look at both theories and you ask the question, which one accounts for all the data with the fewest amount of background assumptions that we just have to accept? And then we we make an inference to the best explanation. Now, I tried to give an account of human behavior that, as I saw it, was consistent with physics. It was consistent with good philosophy from a naturalistic position. It was consistent with the findings of neuroscience. It's consistent with the findings of experimental psychology. 
Now, he tried to give an explanation that couldn't account for any of the data in, in physics, really resisted it, saying, no, there's some sort of immaterial substance. He couldn't even define what that immaterial substance was. He couldn't say whether it was a soul or spirit. He couldn't give us any sort of explanation as to how it exactly works. And in the end, he couldn't even tell us in which cases does it work. He wasn't able to define in what areas he even has free will. Mm -hmm. They seemed ready to acknowledge that we don't always have it and couldn't even give us a straightforward account of, of that. When is free will actually in play? That's why at the end I said this wasn't even close to an even match. Their position barely even gets off the ground and the position of determinism can account for an awful lot of what we observe in the actual world. But yes, I suppose until we can, until we have a complete theory of consciousness, until we know how every little circuit in the brain operates and how that contributes to a decision, I guess they will always have that gap that they can try to insert their free will into. Now, kind of for a self-critique before we wrap this up, sure. I do think there were some areas where I could have argued a little bit better with them. One of the mistakes I made, uh, just kind of a rhetorical mistake in going into this debate, I assumed the burden of proof, really I have to because I'm arguing for determinism. Right. Uh, but they, they need to assume the burden of proof as well because they, they are also arguing for a position free will. Yes. And I spent way too much time on the defensive mm -hmm. and trying to articulate our viewpoint. That was my entire point of going on there was to try to clarify, okay, this is where we're coming from. Right. You weren't going there to attack their viewpoint. Right. You were just defending ours. So that's – but That's a fair. Given the given the fact that they seemed to be uninterested in understanding our viewpoint, I really Very should true. have been on the offensive more than I was. Sure. And there were a couple of areas. I think Luke had some good things to say, which is why I kind of wish Luke would have joined me. But he was, yeah. you know, he's busy and has his has better things to do than be on an apologist show for two hours. There should be an app for Luke. Well, right, because he has such a better grasp and command of the of the psychological data than yeah. I do. That's what he does. And while I was stressing out trying to explain to them, okay, this is how deliberation works, even in a deterministic right. universe, right. this is not really a problem. I was kind of haphazardly trying to explain that with, with whatever popped into my head at that moment. Sure. And Luke brought up a really good point after listening to this. He said, well, deliberation is something that in psychology we understand as being deterministic as well. The whole process of, of deliberation – Happens on a continuum. He said, you know, on the, on one far end, we have impulsiveness. This is when you, when you don't deliberate enough. On the other far end, when you deliberate too much, we have obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, both of these will respond to pharmacological interventions. Right. If you change the mix of neurotransmitters up in the brain, you can get a reliable and predictable change in the deliberative processes that people go through. So as with much in psychology, it's, it's not that our process of deliberating and making a choice can't be explained by determinism. It's, it's more the other way around that it only is explained by right. determinism. Absolutely. This, this is how we truly comprehend this is practical what's going on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think Daniel Dennett would say it's the difference between a crane and a skyhook. Hmm. Uh, a crane lifts has a foundation. It's settle. It's it's resting on the ground, and it can lift something up in the air. Well, that's what deterministic accounts do for us. They ground our our understanding of our own abilities in a biological framework. Now, 
just saying that we make completely free, unconstrained choices out of the void is placing choice on a on a skyhook. It's trying to hang it on something that that it's it's just up in the air. It's a floating proposition. Mm-hmm. They they can't give any general account for how this this comes to be. So I thought Luke's insight on that matter would have been really helpful at that moment. Right. But you know, as with many things, you, you never know you never quite know what you should have said until it was all over with. Well, anyways, I, I think we've said enough about this. And uh, if you made it the whole way through, then thanks for giving it a listen. Congratulations! Yeah. yeah, be sure to send us uh, your 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 feedback to doubtcast.org. Now, one last thing I just wanted to say because it stuck in my craw as a former Calvinist is more so on their first episode where they were talking about us, but a couple of times when they were talking to you, they said predetermined as opposed to determined. Yeah, And there is a huge difference, and that drove me up the wall. Yeah, you know, and I wonder how much that contributed to their misunderstanding. I'd, I'd thought about that too. I never actually pointed it out. No, but and it, that it, was the one one critique I had for you was you should have called them out on that. Yeah. But there was a, plenty else. Yeah, I should have. Did It did almost sound like they were looking at determinism as kind of like a, a fatalistic thing. Very much as so. As if God or whatever decided millions of years ago how you would act yes. and no matter what you were feeling, no matter what you were thinking or what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. you are forced at gunpoint to make a particular choice. Yes. And that of course is not at all what determinism is saying. All it's saying is that there's a, you know, there's a causal chain of influence. But in that causal chain of course are your intentions, are your beliefs, are your deliberations. All of those things are caused. Uh, but yeah, the the whole using the predetermined language almost led me to believe that they they thought we were just fatalists. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, well, I look forward to reading uh, more comments and emails about this episode, so please send them in, doubtcast at gmail.com, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with some uh, spanking new material. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.